Hello and welcome to Landings with a Flare, the podcast where we supplement and support flight training. This is Captain Teresa. This episode will be a pilot ground school lesson in the format of a guided discussion. This conversation was recorded on the audio platform called Clubhouse. You will likely hear some variation in audio quality as speakers tune in from around the world. Many of our ground school lessons include handouts, which you can find along with other resources in the podcast show notes. They are also on our website, landingswithaflare.com. We hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversations. Welcome aboard. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for our continued lesson on meteorology. The plan today is to speak about clouds. Enrique, let's talk about what a cloud is. Would you like to tell us what a cloud is? A cloud is pretty much water vapor that is, has been condensated and became a cloud that is suspended in the air. Yeah, that's great. And Enrique told you the key word for a cloud is condensation. Technically, you could also have ice crystals as well. And that would be something called deposition or sublimation, depending on who you ask. We talk about that more in winter flying. But that's a cloud. So the question is, how does a cloud form? On the handout, on page one, I have a picture of a horse. The horse is standing outside in cold weather, and you can see what looks like a cloud around where the horse is breathing. What happened is there was warm, moist air inside the horse, and then when the warm, moist air was breathed out, it hit the cold air. Warm air holds more moisture than cold air. When the warm air was forced to cool off, it could no longer hold that moisture. And that's why you see essentially a cloud. Those little water droplets or water molecules started joining together and then condensing and then creating that cloud. Does anyone have other comments about how clouds are formed? Welcome, Philip, by the way. Hey, guys. Um, how clouds are formed? Um, when there are condensation points where water droplets can condensate on. That's one of the requirements. And also the spread or temperature graphs coming together or some percentage of humidity plus condensation points. Those are great points. We can actually talk about that a bit. So first of all, with a condensation point, we talk about something called a condensation nucleus, or the plural of that is condensation nuclei. And that is a little speck of often dust or pollution that the water molecules have to form around in order to create for what would first be a cloud droplet. But if it gets bigger and bigger, at some point, it will fall under the force of gravity and then that becomes precipitation or like a rain droplet. So something that you need to know about water molecules is that they have a very tiny little charge. And if you're in warm air, the warm air molecules have energy and they essentially push the water molecules apart. So as the air cools off, the air molecules get less energy, which means that they can't hold the water molecules apart from each other. And these tiny little charges on the water molecules bring them together. Let's speak about relative humidity and dew point. Phil, do you want to add some more about that? 
about dew points and temperature. So you have like what we get as pilots, we're getting two different kind of temperatures from the airport or from the authorities where we can calculate with. So the one is the outside air temperature measured at the specific point at the airport, normally at near the airport reference point. And so that's the official temperature at and around the airfield. And then you also get another temperature that is normally the same or lower, and that is called the dew point. And that means that if you would cool the current air down to that dew point, then you will see moisture or condensation happen. And that equals also to 100% humidity. For example, when you are in hot areas or like in deserts, you may see a big spread, sometimes 20 degrees or more. But if you have fog outside, you would see a spread of maybe one, two or zero degrees, actually. Thank you so much, Philip. So the dew point is the point of saturation of the air. For a given amount of moisture in the air, as you said, when the air cools off, there's a point where it becomes saturated. And we would say that that's 100% relative humidity. Relative humidity is the percentage of actual moisture over what it could hold. So that relative humidity is one of the other terms that you hear a lot. When we look at a METAR, as pilots do looking at their weather reports, one of the things we look at is the spread between the temperature and the dew point. We have different numbers. We've talked about this before, and some people have different numbers. A lot of people say if the temperature and the dew point are within five degrees of each other, that's when you're going to start to get some kind of visible moisture like a cloud or fog or something like that. And as they get closer and closer together, then at that point, you're going to get essentially more visible moisture and it could get to the point of precipitation possibly. Is there anything else we can talk about with cloud and rain formation before we move on? Enrique and then Philip. Just to make clear, especially for new students in the United States, when we're talking about those degrees spread, we are talking about Celsius. So just to make sure, because that's a fairly common error because they are not used to deal with the scale of Celsius. Great points. Go ahead, Philip. Yeah, you said that you have to expect the cloud formation around the field at five degrees spread between actual temperature and dew point. And I just want to add that for me, in my experience, with a spread of two degrees or less, you also have to expect clouds at ground surface of the airport. So you may have to expect a low visibility at and around the field. Ah, yes. And we were speaking about that recently. So what is the definition of a cloud that is at or near the ground? Or what is that called? I will look for anyone to flash their microphone. Fog. Z, yes, it's fog. So fog is a cloud that is at or near the ground. I heard the definition once that it had to be within 50 feet of the ground. I was looking for that yesterday and I couldn't find it. So that's probably what it is, but I couldn't find that on an official weather source. Okay, we are going to speak about something called the adiabatic process. I like to start out easy and then go complex, but we're just going to go complex right now. So the adiabatic process involves the different ways that air cools off. We know that as we rise in altitude, the temperature often does get colder, at least when we are in the troposphere. And one of the ways that it gets colder 
is because of how the air expands as it rises up. And that is called adiabatic cooling. It's actually the principle that the air itself is expanding that causes the reaction of the cooling. It's just a law of physics. And then when the air cools as it rises, or the opposite where it warms up as it sinks, we call that adiabatic heating and cooling. And then we also can talk about something called the lapse rate, which is how quickly it does that. Let's speak about lapse rates. Really, there are two different types of air that we're looking at. We're looking at dry air, which always has a constant lapse rate. We usually talk about it in Celsius per thousand feet. Who would like to say how many degrees per thousand feet dry air is? Enrique. Uh, that's going to be confusing because I'm looking at the, at the handout. Here, we consider two degrees Celsius per 1,000 feet. Yes. Oh, wait. For the dry or for the wet? For the dry. Oh, that, that doesn't match. Yeah, that's why, I said, that's why I said it would be confusing. Really? So in Brazil, they say two degrees Celsius per 1,000 feet for dry. That's interesting. In the United States, we say three. And then the two is average, but that has to do more with a moist, not a dry. Yeah, we use that as a general rule for, for most of our calculations for the written test. Oh, but that's because you're not dealing with perfectly dry air. So the average yeah. is two degrees Celsius per thousand feet because the average air has moisture. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So dry is supposed to be fixed if it's 100% dry. But you could also have moist air. And the thing with moist air is that there's actually a fairly big spread. It can be anywhere, most people say from about 1.2 degrees Celsius to 3 degrees Celsius per 1,000 feet. So it is a spread. And so to keep it simple, they say the average of moist air is 2 degrees Celsius per 1,000 feet. And that calculation can come in handy, for example, if it's the winter and you are trying to find where the freezing level is, it's it, not always exact, but you can say, okay, if it's six degrees Celsius on the surface, six divided by two is three. Therefore, I believe the th freezing level is exactly 3,000 feet above where I am. And by exact, I mean approximate. So that's what I would say for lapse rate. So that will come in more later, but I just wanted to get some good basic definition terms there. Does anyone have questions, comments, or clarifications, Philip? Yeah, and also why Enrique was saying two degrees is because um, you're correct with the dry and wet moisture of air, but the thing is the two degrees is the average because we are uh, talking about the international standard atmosphere, which is two degrees per thousand feet or 0.7 degrees per 100 meters. Yes, so that I would agree as well. I agree that two degrees is considered to be the standard or international standard atmosphere, but I would say that that factors in moisture. Sandun, I saw you flashing your microphone. What do you uh, believe on that one? Yes, the actual standard uh, standard lapse rate is the one point nine eight degrees per Celsius. It's the standard, as like we uh, we could quote the calculation and other things. So getting as 1.98 degrees per thousand feet. 
Okay, great. So I believe we are all saying the same thing. The standard is approximately two, but if it's truly dry, it is more than that. And that will come into our conversation later when we talk about certain types of upslope winds and downslope winds and things like that. Let's go and talk about cloud types. First of all, Let's talk about how clouds are characterized. Who would like to tell us how clouds are characterized into four main categories? Mo. Usually it is low, medium, high, and then clouds with the vertical uh, formation. Perfect. So clouds are categorized by height, and then you have low, middle, high, and then the clouds that go through all heights, essentially, Like you said, those are clouds with extensive vertical development. Now, another way that we categorize clouds is between stratiform and cumuliform, or between stratus and cumulus. Who would like to help us with the definition of those? Mo? Stratus is usually thin layers of clouds. Cumulus is usually, you know, bigger shapes and darker kind of. Yeah, I would almost use the word poofy. The ones that have the vertical development in them are the poofier ones or the cumulus clouds. I learned this from Enrique a little while back, but does anyone know how the word cumulus came about? What the root of that word is? I think it's a great memory aid. Destiny J. I think you said like a Latin word for an accumulation. Yes, it's the same root word as the word accumulation, and all the credit goes to Enrique for pointing that one out. Thank you, Enrique. We can have stratus clouds, and we can have cumulus clouds, and then we have different heights. So now we'll break it down by height. If it's a high-level cloud, you can expect the word cirrus or cirro, the prefix cirro, in front of it. So you can have cirrostratus or cirrocumulus, or also something called cirrus. If it's middle, alto normally goes in front of the middle. Who would like to comment on what some names will be? Astro, thanks for flashing your microphone. When we talk about the middle level of clouds, we have the alto, and there is alto cumulus and alto stratus. Yes, alto stratus and alto cumulus. So high clouds are cirrus, and then you can have cirrostratus or cirrocumulus. Middle are either altostratus or altocumulus. And then low, would anyone like to say what those clouds are? Astro. We have the stratus, and we have stratus cumulus, and we have also the nimbostratus. And we have also a cumulus cloud that can be vertically from the ground up to 4,000 and over. Yes, and I can tell that you have done some nuanced studying. On the handout, I kept it simple, but what you were saying was actually slightly more accurate. To keep it really simple, you can say that your low-level clouds are stratus, cumulus, and then the one where it's called stratocumulus that doesn't completely follow the pattern, but it's close. Technically, then there are other clouds that could go in that category as well such as one called nimbostratus. And what does the word nimbo mean? Nimbo or nimbus? Gregory? Nimbo actually means rain in Latin, I think. 
Exactly. Thank you, Gregory. Nimbo or Nimbus means rain. A Nimbostratus cloud, that would technically be a lower level cloud as well. Now, a lot of our rain clouds and some types of cumulus clouds don't really fit into the low category. They are clouds with extensive vertical development. Again, because they are so poofy and they have these updrafts that create them. So what would some names of clouds be that have extensive vertical development? Destiny J. Accumulonimbus. Yeah, so cumulonimbus is a really common one. And there's another one that's quite common as well. Gregory. I think it's called the towering cumulus. Yes, that one is quite common. Those are the two that show up in METARs. Those are the pilot weather reports, cumulonimbus and towering cumulus. So I think that that covers a lot of the basic names of clouds. Now, there are so many other names as well that you can eventually talk about. There are many subcategories and things like that, but we don't need to go that deep for someone who is just, say, working on their private pilot rating or even a commercial pilot rating. Now, let's talk a little bit more about stable air versus unstable air. What kind of clouds would be in stable air, the stratus or the cumulus? Destiny J. The stratus form cloud. Exactly. So those are going to be in the stable air. So then unstable air would have which kind? The cumulus. Excellent. Okay. So now let's talk about turbulence. Which one would have the smooth air and which one would have more turbulent or rough air, stable or unstable? Mo. Usually the unstable air have more turbulence because it is updraft and downdraft, and it is more smooth on the stable air. I agree. Now let's talk about rain or precipitation. Which one would have more continuous precipitation and which one would be more showery? Destiny J. The unstable conditions would have like showery precipitation. The stable one would have steady. Exactly. Now we need to stop and define those because some people are saying, wait, 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 what do you mean by showery? I hear it on the news, but what do you mean when you say showery? Like a consistent rain flow and it doesn't stop. You mean consistent? So we can have continuous or showery, but those are the opposites. I'm trying to find like a good word for it, but I know that it's like, it's like a, um, like a downpour. Yeah, that's the one. So showery is on and off. That's kind of what you want to think of with showery. It's oh. like, a, yes, yeah, that's the on and off one. Okay, I got those two mixed up. No, no, no. That's great. That's why I asked because when people say showery, that's a term that has to be defined if you don't know what it is. So showery precipitation is, I like to use this analogy. It's like when you're going, if you're like me, when you go home after grocery shopping and you're in your car and then you bring your groceries into your home, right when you go between your car and your home, it rains really hard. And as soon as you're done bringing your groceries in, it stops. That's a shower. It's a hard rain and then it just stops. And then it's maybe a hard rain again and then it stops. That's what we call a showery. I have a question. What does showery precipitation look like when you are flying? Destiny J. It's like you can almost like spot them and... They're like these clouds that it looks like 
just the darker area, but you can like go around them too. Yeah, it looks like columns of rain and pilots can actually just fly around the columns of rain. Philip. Sometimes because it's a showery situation now and then, you also have good visibility of sunbeams and that makes some virgas visible. Virgas are rain showers that are coming out of a cloud, which then evaporate before hitting the ground. Yes, Virga is a wonderful term. I should have put it in the handout. I love Virga. It's beautiful. So like you said, it's rain that evaporates before it hits the ground. And it often happens in very dry air, which is why it's evaporating. So if we have showery precipitation in unstable air, again, it's not always that way. It's just, this is sort of a generalization. Then we tend to have continuous precipitation, if there is any precipitation, in stable air. And what would that be like, just if you had to describe it in very simple words? Mo. It's just low precipitation, but steady everywhere for maybe sometimes a long time. Yeah, it might last for several hours and just kind of go for a long time. And it might be on the lighter side. It probably is. It almost might be more of a drizzle, maybe. And these are just generalizations. It's not always raining in either situation, stable or unstable, but that's kind of what you would expect. And then last but not least, Let's talk about visibility. Which one, stable air or unstable air, overall tends to have better visibility? Mo? Usually the unstable air have better visibility, but the stable air have poor visibility. Exactly. Again, these are just generalizations as a memory aid to help people remember. It's not always this way. I mean, sometimes when there's unstable air and it's a violent rainstorm, you're going to have terrible visibility. But often, if there's no other major weather, unstable air has good visibility because it lifts all of the haze and the pollution and the dust away from the ground. The wind blows it away, essentially, and the updrafts help carry it away. In stable air, Stable air is often sinking air or air that has no tendency to mix. And so it's often going to hold the haze and the dust and the pollution near the ground. So it might be an otherwise nice day, but just very hazy. And that could be a stable air. I should have probably first defined stable versus unstable, but that I just kind of did it there. So stable air does not have a big desire or tendency to mix. It might be stable if there's more cold air or dense air down below, and then the warmer air is already above, like, for example, in some temperature inversions. It also might be stable air in a high-pressure area where the air is sinking more as well. So if stable air is associated with a high-pressure area, does unstable air tend to be associated more with low pressure or high pressure? It's normally low because... It's changing weather too. And high pressure area is, is normally a stable area because especially if it's a continental high area, which is spread all over, you don't have that much difference in isobars and therefore not that much wind. and Therefore, it's more stable. Yes. And speaking of low pressure areas, do those tend to be good weather or bad weather as compared to high pressure areas? Destiny J. That tends to be bad. And Teresa, I think 
we forgot to mention like if it was turbulent or smooth air as well. Yeah, we did mention that briefly, but which one tends to be turbulent? The the unstable conditions. Yes, because there are a lot of updrafts and downdrafts, especially updrafts in the unstable air, which is your turbulence. So the point I was hoping to bring out is that unstable air usually has some type of low pressure system, which is rising air. And low pressure is usually associated with bad weather or the poor weather, the rain, the precipitation, that type of thing. But it's very, very complex, and we are still just speaking in generalizations. Let's talk about fog. We already defined it briefly, but who would like to define what fog is? Destiny J. Fog is when the air becomes cold and saturated and then visible moisture. Yes. And what is different between fog and a regular cloud? What's the difference? Is that it appears closer to the ground? Yes. Fog is just a cloud that's close to the ground. A lot of people say, wow, what is it like to fly in the clouds? And the answer is, if you've driven in fog, it's pretty similar. It really is the same thing. And then sometimes there's something fun that people will do in very small planes. They'll open the window and they'll reach their hand out and they'll say, I touched a cloud. It's really just like touching fog. It's really not that much different, but it's still kind of fun to say that you did that. So fog is a cloud that is at or near the ground. I believe that, again, it's technically within 50 feet of the ground, but I couldn't verify that last night. So let's talk about the different types of fog. The first type that you will probably get asked on government tests is called radiation fog. What does that look like? And then after that, we'll talk about how it is formed, or we can say them both together. Destiny J. So it happens on cold, calm nights, but it looks like these patchy sheets of fog over the water on calm, cold nights. It is thin and patchy. It is often actually over the land. And I like how you said calm nights. So it tends to happen. It's these little patches of fog, and they often sink down into low areas. That's radiation fog. It happens on nights where there are not usually a lot of clouds, so we say that would be a clear night, and it often tends to happen when there's not a lot of wind, so that would be what you said is the calm night without a lot of wind. Who would like to talk about how this thin, patchy fog that sinks to low areas is formed? Z. I believe it, uh, its origin is from the terrestrial, so the earth, the dirt, the land, so its origin comes up from the ground. You are on the right track. We say it is formed by something called terrestrial radiation. We definitely have to break down the meaning of that term and those words. Terrestrial radiation. What does the word terrestrial mean? Astro. When we talk about the terrestrial radiation, it means the earth or the ground has been heated for a long time. And after the sunset, the earth or the ground trying to reflect back to the space, the radiation it was uh, absorbing during the day. So we will find something like temperature inversion at this moment or at this point. Oh, yeah, you got some great words in there. So it becomes a temperature inversion, 
where the air close to the ground is colder than the air above it. And then, as you said, it's because during the day, the ground absorbed the heat. And then at night, the ground lost the heat. So the air that's close to the ground also gets a lot colder than the air directly above it. And the reason for that is the difference between conduction and convection, which we spoke about last week. Conduction means that energy is transferred faster when things touch. So the air touching the ground cools off faster than the air that's not touching the ground that would have to mix. So that is 100% accurate. And now let's talk about a memory aid for remembering the words terrestrial radiation. Z, I think you were going to answer this. When we say the word terrestrial, what would the like the root of that be? It's I believe it's Latin as well. Yeah, I just know that terra, I believe terra means earth, earthen. You are correct. So if terra or terrestrial means from the earth, then what would radiation mean? Well, I would think uh, sun, radiations from the sun. Okay, or even more simply, maybe I would say losing energy or losing heat, perhaps, or a transfer of that. So I'm trying to force us all together into a nice memory. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just clapping like it's, yeah, you're trying to guide us here. and. <laughs> yeah, <guessing>. yeah. <laughs> and of course, we have to simplify a little bit. But to put it all together in a memory aid, terrestrial radiation, if terrestrial means from the earth and radiation means losing heat or losing energy, then when the earth, the surface of the earth, loses heat, that is called terrestrial radiation. So radiation fog comes from terrestrial radiation, which is the earth losing heat. If the ground cools off, the air close to the ground gets cold, and it's close to its dew point or its point of saturation, then you might see some fog. And then why, again, would the fog settle into the lower-lying areas? If you go up and down in a hilly area, you might see it at the bottom of hills. Yeah, Z. Well, the water, I mean, the air is heavier with water, so it would sink. So cold air in general is denser than warm air. And so that's why it sinks, because it's dense. Cold air goes below, sinks below warm air. So it has to do with the temperature. And not, and not anything to do with the water. It's just the temperature makes it sink, and it doesn't have to do with saturation. Exactly. The okay. temperature causes the saturation, but it's not directly related to density. In that case, although when we are talking about airplane performance, like taking off on a hot, humid day at a high altitude, then the humidity can actually make the density of the air lower. But for our purposes, we're saying that there's a given amount of moisture content in all of the air, whether it's fog or not fog yet. I hope I didn't lose everyone there. But no, thank yeah. You. Oh, yeah. I, I love the input. I get so thrilled every time someone wants to flash their microphone and speak. It makes me happy. Let's talk about another kind of fog. We talked about radiation fog, and now we will talk about something called advection fog. Who would be willing to define it? Moog. Whatever warm, moist air flow over the cold surface, it could be water or land, it becomes visible. And that's the advection fog. It's like uh, when the air is coming out of your mouth in the cold weather, 
and it become visible. And does advection fog tend to stay for just the night or for a few hours, or does it tend to linger longer? I'll look for a microphone flash. Often advection fog lasts a lot longer. It might even last a few days. One example of where we would get advection fog where I live in Michigan is normally it's in the spring because all winter long, the ground had the opportunity to get frozen. So the ground is usually pretty cold in the spring, but in the spring is also when we get warm air masses coming in as it gets warmer and warmer. So you have warm air traveling over a cold surface. And warm air can hold more moisture than cold air. So when the warm air is forced to cool off, that is when we get the condensation and the fog. Does anyone have questions, comments, or additions on advection fog? Destiny J. I was just going to ask, is advection fog like when wind takes place, will it be gone? That is a good question. Wind almost always helps move fog out of the way. Advection fog can be pretty thick. Sometimes we call it like a pea soup fog for slang or something like that. So it might take a fair amount of wind and updrafts, but at the end of the day, that is going to make a difference. That's a great question, actually. Let's talk about another kind of fog. This one will be frontal fog. This one's a little more complicated. We don't talk about this one as much, and it also doesn't show up on the test as often. Does anyone want to start us off with that? Philip? So frontal fog normally forms ahead of a warm front, around 150 nautical miles before. And the precipitation normally comes from nimbus stratus clouds that saturate the shallow layer of cold air underneath the front surface. And the frontal fog goes away when the front passes. That was the better definition than I could have given. That's great. So what happens is often as the warm air is coming along in the warm front, the warm air is lifted up over the cold air below it. And often there's clouds and precipitation. And then that precipitation can often get saturated as it's falling through the cold air. And then you can get fog. Let's talk about steam fog, not maybe as commonly tested, but still a good one to know. Any comments on that? Destiny J. Steam fog is when like you have colder, like from the water, you have like a colder um, surface and then, oh wait, I'm sorry. Wait, this is when you have a warmer surface and then a cold, uh, like say a cold wind ran over top of the water. That's when steam would form on top. You got it. So steam fog tends to form over the water, and it's when the water tends to be warm, but the air coming over it is cold. If you have like a hot pot or a hot cup of coca, and you have like steam coming out, that's like the same thing. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. Great. And Enrique, I believe you have a comment. Yeah, the best visual example that we could have from steam fog was on yesterday's wildcard match between New England Patriots and Epstein playing Buffalo, where pretty much it was 5 degrees Fahrenheit uh, or less 15 Celsius, and the sweat from the players were pretty much forming clouds around them because it was so cold. 
Wow, I'm glad I wasn't one of those players. I have a lot of respect for that. Talk about determination. There's one more kind of fog that we are going to talk about, and that is called upslope fog. Would anyone like to describe that? Mo? Yeah, when the uh, usually wind push the warm, moist air through and slope, it's getting colder and colder as it goes up and it becomes visible. Yes. So that upslope fog is kind of weird. It has to do with air rising up, for example, up a slope of a hill or a mountain or some other kind of terrain. And the cooling that occurs is a type of what we call adiabatic cooling. And we talked about that a little bit earlier, but that's from the expansion of the air due to the lower pressure in the atmosphere as it rises up. So as the air expands, it cools off, and that air that cools off then can't hold all the moisture, so it reaches its dew point, it's saturated, and then you see the fog or the condensation that comes out of it. Do we have any clarifications or questions? We are going to wrap up our section on fog and clouds, and then when we come back, we will talk about wind. This is Captain Teresa. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you were one of the people being recorded, I thank you. If you were one of the people that we edited out of this recording, I beg your forgiveness. There were many reasons that this episode may have been edited, including length, audio quality, and accuracy. We don't always have the right answers. I ask you to view this as entertainment and not as a replacement for formal instruction or advice. If you want to send constructive feedback or if you have questions, feel free to contact us through our website, landingswithaflare.com. You can view announcements on our Instagram account, landingswithaflare. You can also join our live conversations on Clubhouse in the club pilot flight training. If you got value out of this podcast, please consider subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a positive review. Wherever you are in the world, we wish you happy landings.